Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. We want to talk this week about a phenomenon that you might have heard of called gray divorce. So think about that. As the name implies, this means divorce among older people. It's, uh, it's a thing now. I mean, these statistics, I don't know how reliable they are, but uh, several articles have been written in the popular press recently, just in the last, I would say, year. Right. In the past year or so. And that's what triggered our deciding to discuss it today, is that people who are older are apparently feeling bold enough or perhaps other changes are taking place in which they are choosing to divorce after 30-plus years of yeah. marriage, typically. Yeah. And so, I've heard it referred to as silver divorce as well, which has a so, better ring because gray sounds really depressing. It does. Um, and you wouldn't want to call it golden divorce. No, 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 no. no. So silver is probably the right tier. Yeah. But in any case... Let's talk a little bit about it. Where should we start? Well, you are serving a dual role today, as you know. You're yes. not only the host, you're our guest, uh, a longtime divorce attorney. Yes. I, I don't practice domestic relations personally anymore. Right. But, um, but uh, I'm, I'm still involved. Um, and uh, I, of course, practice also as a state planning trust attorney. Mm-hmm. So I can see this from several different angles, and, right. and certainly from Cordell and Cordell's perspective, which is a, a law firm that represents primarily men, about probably 95% of their clients are men, uh, in domestic relations cases. So how often over the years did your firm, Cordell and Cordell, um, handle cases among senior citizens? Was it typical yeah. or? Strong roots are essential for a healthy tree, especially your family tree. That's why you work hard to take care of your family every day. At Tucker Allen, we know that taking care of your family means planning for the future. Our team provides personalized estate planning to help you protect your family, your legacy, and your future. From wills and trusts to long-term care and estate planning, count on Tucker Allen. Personalized estate planning made simple. I, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the, uh, you know, the, the profile of our typical client. The profile of our typical client was usually a, uh, a dad in his late 30s, wife presumably in her late 30s. And, right. And often uh, she was the one who was choosing divorce, and typically she had met somebody in the, in the workplace. And so that's a scenario where, you know, the stage is set for a custody dispute because it's not like the other scenario that commonly happens where men, men often choose divorce in which um, they're maybe in their 40s. So it means the wife's in the 40s if they married around the same time. And uh, often the guys met somebody else in the workplace. Midlife crisis. That standard thing they talk about, midlife crisis. (laughs) It's funny, they make movies about it, but they don't don't make movies on the counterpart of that. Women, you're right. And And that does happen with women. It happens with women, uh, but it generally happens younger. 
So if you think about it, in that case, the dad is more inclined to fight a custody battle. Right. Usually those guys who are walking away in their mid-40s or they're 50 or even older, usually they're marrying somebody a little younger. could be five years, could be 10. Usually it's not 20, but it, usually it's five to 10 years younger. And often often these these relationships are ones in which they are not going to envision children being in the home. And in that case, anyway, you have teenagers. So the teenagers are usually mad at dad. So uh, not that Cordell and Cordell has not represented clients fitting that sort of stereotype, but it's not the core of our clientele. We right. came into existence uh, in the early 90s in, uh, with the focus on representing those guys who, who found themselves you know, in a, in a divorce court that they didn't choose. And their kids are small, usually in that age, if, if mm-hmm. both parties sure. are in their 30s. The kids are small. So mom usually, in that case, has met somebody else. She wants out. Uh, often somebody she met in the workplace. Not always, but that's kind of the That's st- typically. It's a, it's a stereotype. Yeah. yeah but it, it's it's pretty reliable. And, um, and she wants primary custody. So the stage in that, with that fact pattern is set for a custody dispute. And, uh, and that was often what Cordell and Cordell did. But in answer to your question, we definitely saw clients who were over 60. And I remember those cases because they were very uh, complicated cases typically. I bet. In part because of the assets that had been accumulated over that period of time. Usually the, the younger couple, while custody battles are complicated, that's true. But it's a different type of complication. It's not an asset complexity, such as, for example, when you own a business. Um, it's not unusual for, you know, the the husband, you know, back in that day, it's more often the husband who would be running the business, uh, but the wife may be involved too. So they reach an older age and somebody decides they want out. What are the typical reasons for divorce among seniors? I mean, is it what we normally see, you know, growing apart, maybe... Another person comes into the mix, uh, you know, there's cheating going on or um, empty nesters. I mean, is it pretty typical? Well, it is up to a certain age point. And, and then beyond that, that older age point, so in other words, not just 60, but I'm, I'm pushing up to where closer to 70, I would say that these rules of thumb no longer apply. And they may, may no longer apply so much even in the mid-60s. But all the way up to that point, and perhaps past, you do have a pattern that's familiar, and it encompasses all age groups. Mm-hmm. It encompasses all socioeconomic groups. Right. Uh, and that's that de- generally people do not spontaneously end up in a divorce. One party does not simply get to a point where they say, I'm going to go see a lawyer and file for divorce. Unless, of course, there are some of those poisonous factors, those, I don't know, there are three or four things that will kill any marriage. And and among them is drug abuse, alcohol addiction. Alcohol can be very poisonous to relationships. Um, Physical abuse. I mean, if there's physical, you know, so if you have those factors present, those will kill any marriage. Sooner or later, no matter what age you are, yeah, whatever. You don't need a somebody meeting somebody else. Although that may be sped along by one of the parties meeting someone else uh, who's already in a really, really bad marriage that would have ended up in divorce anyway. But most of these marriages, my argument, except for those which are a very small percentage Mm -hmm. of divorces. I mean, again, this is an estimate, but. 
we're the Cordell and Cordell is the largest domestic relations firm in the country. Yeah. And 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 I can tell you that our experience is that probably those cases where literally somebody was ran out of the marriage, so to speak, meaning they had to go to a court and they had to file for divorce. I mean, that those handful of uh, causes that I described and a couple more, criminal behavior apart from domestic oh, violence, yeah. I would say those represent maybe 4 to 5% at, at most, at most. As a matter of fact, probably more like 3%. But the rest are cases where somebody could have chosen to stay, even though it wasn't a happy marriage, and, mm-hmm. but but they chose not to. And usually that that sort of stimulus to go and do something as difficult and painful and, and a step into the unknown that divorce is, usually it's not enough for somebody to just after the day-to-day, say, a quote-unquote bad marriage, uh, they just say, look, I've had enough. I'm going to go file for divorce. It's very unusual for somebody to, to do that without that stimulus right. of meeting someone else. But what if you get a client, say, uh, a gentleman that's 70, and he and there's nothing volatile in the marriage, he and, say, his wife feel like they have just grown apart, you know, they're empty nesters, whatever. Still, they've been married for decades. A long time. Decades. So do you try to advise, you know, your client, mm, you might want to reconsider this? Yeah, those, uh, and when I said a while ago that it's really difficult when you have couples that old getting divorced, in in part because it seems to be uh, a great tragedy. Yeah. One can argue any divorce is a great tragedy. Some are more tragic than others. And um, and I think the idea of people having invested their youth with each other. Right. And their memories and their children. Their children. I mean, they, they have, we'll assume, shared holidays. And look, I'm assuming that it doesn't go perfectly. I'm assuming there's some yelling and complaining and and you know, some some bad times in that marriage. I don't doubt that. But but for many people who when they once they get past a certain stage, if their marriage doesn't come apart, they stay together. And if nothing else, by inertia. And some would say, well, that's kind of a sad thing. You know, some would there was this yeah. you know there are those advocates who are very dismissive of of the importance of marriage. But but I disagree. I think all in all even a marriage that doesn't have all the romantic flourish that some of us see on television and and some people may wish for, still, it's an anchor. And it's an anchor in which, in the majority of those cases, the people do have a love for each other, despite their yelling. I mean, after 30 or 40 years, it's probably not hatred. So I think that that there's there's an investment there that you lose. And furthermore, at the most vulnerable time in your life, you're choosing to step into the unknown. It's one thing to step out there when you're 50. You know, you maybe you can re- recover. You still have resources. You right. still have have some nimbleness in a lot of ways with with uh, your social relationships, your employment, et cetera. But not when you're above 65. I mean, you're your options really are reduced, your vulnerabilities reduced. Uh, you could be very lonely. You could be very lonely at a time in your life when you're most vulnerable to illness, death, financial devastation, one could argue. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I would strongly discourage and have discouraged people 
who are thinking about divorce when they're older, that yeah. old. And I think there's often this misconception in society that people have, if they're not still head over heels in love, you know, decades later than the marriage is over. And we know, you know, life gets in the way. People are, I mean, you're not going to be like you were when you were in your 20s. You're, you're not, mm. you're just not. You're not going to be the same way, you know, decades later when you're in your 60s or 70s. In fact, I think you're probably better if the marriage is still intact because that's real love. Yeah. You know? It is. And and it is real love. And and often we're led to believe that that we should have relationships like you know, a travel commercial or <laughs> or a hotel commercial where you see the couple, the older couple walking on the beach. I mean, we you may have that and you should have that if you can. Uh, but do you divorce if you don't, if you don't if you don't have that the romance that you're seeing portrayed on television? And again, there are people who would disagree with me. Uh, some of our viewers may mm-hmm. may say, no, no, I would rather go for it than to settle for something less. And uh, that's that's a decision that some people make. I will say, though, and we're tying in with a point I was making a while ago, is that when so, when one of the parties has met someone else, it it's a different analysis, meaning that that they're they're thinking that they can make this transition, that they're going to have this future life. They've identified this person that they believe is going to give them a more what meaningful, they're lacking. Yeah, what they're lacking for the balance of their life. Um, it's a very risky proposition. Yes. It, I mean, some of those relationships work. I've seen them work where you meet someone older and have just this incredible relationship better than your for your marriage and you see that sometime with with widows and widowers mm-hmm. uh, and and I've actually witnessed that several with several friends that my that Yvonne and I know have you seen that with people where where a widow or a widower will have had a marriage maybe they, they were married for 30 30 years spouse died then they meet somebody else and then they launch onto this what a and I can see pretty close to these relationships. They are genuine and they are good because I'm around them enough to know. And I'm just impressed with that. Yeah. And to, to have a second marriage that some would argue may be better than the first. I've seen that. I definitely have seen that. So I don't know it's, how to reconcile that with But this. I've never seen it, though, when it came to one spouse stepping out of the no, marriage. I I've never either. in fact I've always those have always been disasters, the ones I've seen. But I can't explain why that's true as I'm sitting here thinking about it. But I completely agree with you because I don't know of those examples. I know they're out there. Don't get me wrong. There are people who get divorced older in life later in life and they find somebody and they are happy. But but I would say I would say this, for every one of those, there are many that are not. Right, and it's like you need to be careful about the fact that that what you see portrayed on the news is the lottery winner, mm-hmm. not the lottery losers. That would take a twenty-four hour a day channel, because you know the, obviously the ratios. So I'm not saying those are the odds. I am saying though that it is difficult. And in so when you walk away from this marriage, you're walking away from something that you know has held together. It's you, comfortable, familiar. It, it's familiar. It's comfortable, and I'm willing to bet there are good times. Sure. Even in a marriage that 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 has a lot of arguing, uh, you know, those things that that you would think would not make a happy marriage, they they've been there for 30, 40 years. Of course, you're going to argue. And then you have the children. Now, here's what I think these other factors are, though, at work. Now, it, one, 
we, we've put on the table, and that's where somebody meets somebody else. I think that can pull a marriage apart at any age. Uh, but I oh, think, yeah. But I think up through age 65 or so, I think that, that men and women are vulnerable to that in a similar way to when they are when they're younger. But I think that with – I see do see some different additional, I'll say, things at work with as people get older and decide to marry – to excuse me, when married people get older and decide to divorce. divorce. And I think right. One of those things is that you have children who have opinions and who get involved. These are middle-aged children, remember, at this point. So they're no longer kids who are saying, I prefer mom or I prefer dad. These are influential actors, so to speak, agents. They're, they're involved. Taking one side. Taking one side or the other it. and pushing things in one direction or another. So um, a case I'm thinking of right now that Cordell and Cordell is not, I don't think is involved. Maybe we are representing one of the parties come to think of it. Uh, but it came to my attention through my church. Um, and, you know, there is a couple in which, sadly, it was one of the children, adult children. The children are all in their middle ages. The parents are 70-ish. And um, one of the daughters has argued to the mother that she needs to divorce the dad because he's been a little profligate with money. So he, and I wouldn't say in a terrible way, but he has he has mishandled some money some, and so he spends more than he should, but not on a scale or not of a degree that, that you know, would warrant this action. I think that one reason kids get involved at this age is because it impacts their inheritance. That's what I was going to say. That's a, you know, there, that's, a, that's the mo- I'm wondering, is this a motivation for this daughter? And I don't know. I don't know her, but it does seem suspicious. And it's real cynical to say that. Yeah, but... And not all kids, but often kids will become involved in that dispute. Mm-hmm. And they can help it or they can hurt it. And uh, and in this case, it I think the mother would not have chosen to file for divorce. These people have been married 40-plus years. Wow. They would not have, have chosen divorce. She would not have, except for her daughter, having encouraged it. And her daughter's argument is that the the dad is irresponsible and you need to take action but i mean there are other first they, of all if he were that bad there are other solutions rather than yeah. divorcing him <laughs> i mean that but, would be something you would think about if you just got married at the age of 21 and you know things weren't going well for a couple of years and you see your spouse being very irresponsible and not wanting to grow up yeah. okay yeah you can see it but you know they've been married 40 years um I don't think it's been that serious. Yeah, and the fact that they have assets. Well, yeah, I mean, those came right from there, somewhere. Right there. I don't think. Yeah, it doesn't sound like he's that irresponsible. So, so the the boys uh, are lining up with the dad, and and so now there's this case going through uh, divorce, uh, divorce court, and I, I just think it was unnecessary. Sometimes you have as an also factor that's thrown in. I mentioned adult children being a factor in those divorces. I would add some cognitive issues can be a factor, either on the part of the, it manifesting itself through the party that does not have cognitive problems, thinking they need to do something because they feel they can't control the other party. Or maybe the other party's behavior is bad, and, and yet it's not on the level that you could you know, have this person uh, 
had a guardian appointment or et cetera. So, um, you know, there's this this large gray area where there's some cognitive decline, but there's but by no means is there any remedy at law. So mm-hmm. there are there are those cases. And, and the other scenarios where the person with the cognitive decline is choosing divorce. So that's the counterpart to that, where it's not the person kind of looking for a solution. It's it's often the person whose judgment is not as good as it was at one time. Uh, now throw in that they've met somebody. Right. That complicates matters. It, it dramatically. And, and uh, sometimes you see marriages that were once you know, paragons uh, that would have been role models, mm-hmm. uh, and then they they end sadly. So it's yeah. it's those are are kind of the most tragic. And I'm thinking of a case where Cordell and Cordell was not involved, but I know the parties, and one was a very successful businessman who had a lot of money. This is in the state of Florida. So um, this person, he had as he got older, they had had. Let me back up. They had had this very visible marriage where they had spoken at marriage conferences. And, and so people looked to them as these role models. Role models, sure. And, and, and he had been very successful. He was in a business in which uh, he was involved in sales or I'll say multi-level marketing, for lack of a better way to put it. But right. he was very high in the organization. Successful. Yeah, very visible, very wealthy, very wealthy. And um, he started... His judgment, I think, declined as he got older and he got into his 80s and started uh, making decisions that jeopardized their what they had worked for, what he had worked for. And um, then he, there was this woman involved, an agent, real estate agent, and um, the wife, you know, for various reasons, chose divorce. Now, in that case, it was difficult for her because I think that, you know, what do you do in a case where... You know, there, there is an affair going on, you think. I don't know that to be a fact. Yeah. But, and then and then also there there's this huge financial risk. He was engaging in transactions that would have, you know, could easily have gone wrong and cost them what they'd acquired. So here you had this long history of a happy, successful marriage. And it goes down in flames through this very public... That's so heartbreaking. I know. I it know. really is. I mean... But the good news is... While that can happen, that is so unusual. Yeah. That's so unusual. And it, if we were to, to put all of the divorces on the table that happen, uh, people over 60, I can tell you the vast majority of those would be preventable. The parties either one, um, whoever chose to, to divorce could have chosen otherwise. Now, let me ask you something. Say you have a couple that's been married for 40 years and say 40 years ago, um, the husband had the wife sign a premarital agreement, okay? Can that premarital agreement still be enforced 40 years later in this divorce? Because I've heard that that's not always the case. If you stay with someone long enough, I, I don't know. Um, or does it... It's Yeah, it's often not wise to aspire in a, in a prenuptial agreement to have something that would span that long a period of time because it tempts the court to look for ways to set it aside because the court's perspective is it should be irrelevant at this point. Right, if you've been married 40 years. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and there's been, you know, these parties, they're tangible and intangible contributions to a marriage. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason in divorce courts, some say, well, she was a homemaker. He was a businessman. He should have gotten the vast majority of the assets. But but there are intangible contributions that, look, when you choose to make somebody a partner to your life, which is what marriage is, and in my opinion should be, when you choose to make somebody a partner, the implications of partnership, I can tell you, if you look it up in the law, Aside from marriage, a partnership means you you share everything that comes in the door. All the business that comes in the door is shared whatever either of you is doing, unless you have a partnership agreement that says otherwise. But but the plain vanilla partnership agreement says something worse to that effect. So a marriage generally is viewed that way in most states, overtly in states in which you have community property. Well, and you're both contributing to this partnership, okay, say you have the the spouse that's the higher-earning spouse, and then you have the supported spouse. They've been married all those years. The supported spouse is raising the children, you know, maintaining the home, you know, contributing to this. Yeah, so, that's right. So, you know, it's, it, they're working together, you know, just because the supported pr- spouse isn't bringing in the bacon, right? Yeah. And and remember, um, another way to think about that scenario, though, is it's like it, we'll use the analogy of a partnership. If if you don't want to share profits with a partner, then then you should choose to end your partnership. We all know that, right? Mm-hmm. If you're in a partnership with somebody and and you and you decide, I don't want to share the profits with this person. I don't think they're contributing what they should, or I don't like this person. Whatever the reason, I don't trust this person. Whatever the thing is that that you know that there's a way to end partnerships in the business world, and there's a way to end the ultimate partnership, which is a marriage. marriage. So when somebody chooses to not do that, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Now, mm-hmm. I, I often Cordell and Cordell attorneys are arguing the opposite view of this if the, if our client was the one who 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 contributed most of the assets. But but I want to step into the shoes, though, of, of what to some extent is the view of courts across the country, community property states as well as equitable distribution right. states, of, of which Missouri is one, is that, that, you know, when you've had a long marriage, and, and if somebody wanted to get out, they could have, but they didn't. So the implications of accumulating profit in that partnership metaphor is that if a day comes when it does come apart down the road, then you can expect that, you know, if it was a 50-50 partnership, this is what happens. But but um, I will say, though, that, that also what complicates uh, prenups is that there's a failure on the front end. If a prenuptial agreement... And you can do, incidentally, a postnuptial agreement. A little more tricky, a little more uncertainty about how reliable it will be. But again, there there are postnuptial agreements that can be done. But again, you have to have the right facts, et cetera. But either one, prenup or postnup, it's critical, critical, critical. If that's going to be enforceable down the road, you want to be sure of two things. Number one, you've disclosed everything to the other party. I mean, you've gone beyond, above and beyond in what you've disclosed. Any any financial information you have any doubt Bank about, accounts, disclose property. it. Yeah. yeah, disclose everything. If there's a trust uh, in your family of which you might be a beneficiary, disclose, disclose, disclose. That's the number one thing that, that you, you need to have. The other factor is you need to be sure the opposing party, your... <laughs> Opposing party, opposing party. Yeah, your, your, your future <laughs> your wife, opponent. <laughs> your opponent, is be sure that she has a lawyer. If you have to hire the lawyer, just so the lawyer doesn't work for you, it's okay for you to pay for the lawyer, but you shouldn't pick out the lawyer. Right. So those two factors, hugely, hugely critical. If you look at when many of these have failed, it's failed for those reasons. 
But but back to the point that, that you raised a while ago is that when you get way down the road, it's really overreaching with a prenup to try to have it go 50 years, uh, sure, for example. I would you, think. You know, there's a real period when you have this uncertainty and you want that protection. But but usually what we suggest clients do is let, let's use a horizon that is reasonable. And, and let's be sure that, that it provides for some sort of payout on the other side. So the whole idea is to make it reasonable. You don't want to put a judge in a very, very difficult position where they have to take a pot of gold and they have to push the entire pot to you because of the ink on a piece of paper and they leave this other person with nothing, particularly after 20, 25, 30 years. So you want to make it easy for the judge to say, yeah, this is a, I find this to not be an unconscionable agreement and I'm going to uphold it. So the ways you do that is you do provide for some sort of payout, something uh, over some period of time, and then you might limit the horizon to maybe 20 years, maybe 25 years. Now, you know, with most divorces, people don't often come out financially stable, right? They don't come out stable, period. Stable, (laughs) yeah. Well, yeah, not emotionally the whole bit. But I would think for seniors, it's even more of an impact, because you're talking about a lot of things you accumulated over the years. And, you know, as we've had Nina on the show talking about your estate plan. Yeah, estate planning is a big deal because, you know, the the uh, transmission or the point in which assets will be transferred to the successors is not that far on the horizon. No one's thinking about estate planning, really, when they're in their 30s and 40s no. in, in a divorce. They may think about estate planning, but in the divorce context, it's not a big issue. Right. Whereas, you're right, when you get over 60, the estate side is a big issue. So existing life insurance policies, a trust that's in place, you know, will, will be changed probably dramatically. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, you probably start over with your estate planning on both sides. The kids, the again, we go back to the middle-aged kids. The middle-aged kids are probably going to be involved in some way. Um, and if you've accumulated a business, which is not unusual for there to have been a family business, sure. then it's really ugly because the kids are often employed in the business in some way. And, you know, I can and, see that being a and, huge mess. Yeah, now the kids are in the middle. So if you have a kid who's aligned themselves with mom and mom wasn't the one who primarily built the business, then that kid, you know, his his or her future may be jeopardized with the business. Mm. And then, then you have the valuing of the business. So the business will have to be divided. I mean, courts can't, you know, it put bring the gavel down with each of them owning half of a closely held business because it's it's a recipe for disaster. So the court has to to allocate the business, which means somebody will get it and somebody won't. And that means bringing in experts, having appraisals done. Uh, and again, the whole time the business is going to be hugely impacted because it may be that both parties work in the business. It's not unusual. Or the kids are working in the business, but they probably don't agree entirely on how they think things should go. So it really sets it up to where the business's values diminished during mm-hmm. this period of, of uncertainty, which could easily be a year or two years. It's not unusual, depending on the jurisdiction, it's not unusual for a, a, a divorce to pen for two years. Sure. So what happens if the divorce is finalized and one spouse finds out the other spouse had been hiding assets? Does that mm. go back to court? Oh, yeah. That's a big no-no. Uh 
anything that is not divided will result in the case being reopening once it's reopened, once it's discovered. So it's it's really a it's a fool's errand for either side to try to hide assets in this day and age. I mean, everything leaves a digital trail. Bit, sure. Bitcoin leaves a digital Bitcoin, trail, we right. find out. So there, the, the fact is, um, today, to have a large sum of money in any form, real estate, uh, gold, I mean, there are just receipts and, and records, bank records, indicating flows of cash. So it's very, very hard to do. I'll make that argument. But but more importantly, it's foolish because it's going to result in a very, very harsh response on the part of the court. The court is likely to to side with the other party on a lot of issues after it's come to light that there's been that sort of um, skullduggery on the part of one side. Mm-hmm. So judges don't like that sort of gamesmanship, and you can alienate a divorce judge real quickly. Remember, divorce judges are to some extent curmudgeons anyway. <laughs> I mean, we all would be, right? Listening I mean, to those cases you know, all So day. keep in mind, you're probably divorced, you know, or we may be talking here about divorce number 3,421 yeah. that, that, that that judge has seen in the last 10 years. So the judge is his tolerance for any sort of misconduct is very low. So, yeah, so they they tend to to be a little harsh or punitive when they see it. So the best thing is to disclose it, disclose everything. But, yeah, should you check that the other side is not hiding assets? Yeah, and, and that requires discovery. You know, you send out requests to produce to virtually all bank accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, you uh, you do a deposition. You put them under oath. You cross examine them. I'm sure that it occasionally happens, but I'd say it doesn't commonly happen that assets are hidden in a divorce. Now you use the term postnuptial agreement. Are you talking? Does that mean alimony things like that? Yeah, that that's an example. Incidentally, when I said a while ago that you would want to have something that that seemed fair in the event of a divorce in your in your. Uh, postnuptial or prenuptial agreement. Maintenance is a way to do that. Maintenance is a way to kind of make make it easy for the judge to enforce the agreement. But you know, you you have you have a, a uniform statute now that's been adopted in a variety of states. And so the probability of having something that is written up now and mm-hmm. being enforced even into the future is much better than something that was drawn up thirty years ago. Because thirty years ago the uniform statute was not around, uh, whereas now it is. So there's a uh, uh, uniform prenuptial agreement act, I think is what it's called. And okay. so, so uh, I know that that California adopted it early, and uh, Florida was an issue during Tiger Woods' divorce because they hadn't adopted it. So the oh. court was a little more free to do something different. Sure. So now you can assume that if it's if you follow the steps correctly, make the disclosures, assure there's counsel on the other side, come up with an agreement that's not horribly one-sided, then it's going to be enforced. Now, I know that um, pensions can be included in the divorce agreement. In fact, I I, I know a gentleman that I worked with for years, and his ex-wife was entitled to his pension when he retired. Well, he was remarried for years and years, and he hated his job, but 
despite his ex-wife, he kept delaying and delaying retirement because he didn't want her to get it. I mean, is that typical where a spouse is entitled to part of your pension? If yeah. you've been married long enough? Yeah, it's kind of a standard fact now that that you when anything that you've accumulated in a retirement account will be divided. Uh, that portion during the marriage is owned between the two parties, and there's a device to divide those plans mm-hmm. up. So whether it's a 401k, an IRA, or whatever, it can be divided through this thing called a quadro, qualified domestic relations order. Quadro? Quadro. Okay. Uh, so the qualified domestic relations order is a tool by which ERISA allows plans and the IRS allow plans to be divided. So if you've been married three years, then it would be 50% of a, if it were, if you'd been employed somewhere for six years, you'd been married three, you get divorced. So it'd be 50% of the whole plan. And then 50% of that would go to the other party. So it'd be like 20% of the value of the plan at that point. And there are some options to where an answer to the, the example you gave, if somebody's postponing retirement, then depending on the terms of their plan, the other party may not be able to commence payments until they commence payments. I know in some plans you can. So, mm-hmm. but, but there's no way to get around the joint ownership except um, that's part of the reason that you have settlement discussions in divorce. And, and the form that a settlement commonly takes in divorce, in fact, right. is that somebody may not want their retirement benefits touched, so they may trade an asset for that. They may say, well, the value of your interest in my 401k is $50,000. I'll trade you um, some assets that I might have in just a savings account. Okay. So they're not tax-deferred assets. Or I might trade you the equity in the house. Maybe the equity in the house is 50000 So you really are bargaining. So you're bargaining. And, and you have to think, because depending on your tax bracket, you might decide that it makes more sense to pay more for the tax-deferred asset mm-hmm. than, than its face value. Uh, but that that's a decision that that's the reason you often use CPAs or to do calculations. Now you talked about kids having an influence over their parent, an adult child. So if you when you experience that, how do you handle that? Do you try to encourage your client, oh, okay, let's have the kids stay out of this or I, I'm sure it's a very uncomfortable situation. It is and and usually the kids will show up at the meetings with the lawyer. So these adult kids will be there, and and uh, some, it depends on the facts. If the kid is important to the communication, then you may not waive privilege. But otherwise, when you have somebody sitting in that meeting, and it's a kid, an adult, mm-hmm. who's there with mom or dad, they have waived confidentiality unless their presence is essential. So when you've waived confidentiality, it means that literally the other side, if they knew about this meeting, they could call... They could call that person to the stand and ask them to describe what was said in the meeting, because it's you don't have attorney-client privilege with the with this adult child. Yeah, because, because you've had someone that was present during the conversation. Right, right, that makes sense. Which suggested that you didn't regard it as private. Okay. So no, normally we we we're happy to not have them in anyway. Right. But, but that that becomes the legal basis. Yeah. Now, if they have key information where they, they, they provide meaningfully to the meeting, to the representation, then you can argue that they are an essential participant. So that's permissible and you don't you don't waive right. your right. privilege. So say your client is getting divorced because he or she, in this case mostly it's been gentlemen, um, found somebody else. I'm sure you advise them before they jump in, you know, t- 
to get married mm-hmm. again, um, they walk down the aisle that they do get that prenuptial agreement. Yeah, it's it's a huge issue, as you say, in a remarriage. It's, yeah. it's huge. And often, you know, uh, people think a, a lawyers would always suggest prenups, but I think when people are starting out their lives together, and even if one's going to be a higher earner, mm-hmm. I mean, I would like to, to treat marriage as something other than a business transaction, sure. uh, something much more than a business transaction. And, um, and I can tell you, I personally, well, I did not have a prenup when I got married, but uh, now I didn't have any assets either. But, <laughs> but the point is, you know, you, you want this adventure in which you have this partnership that you, you grow together and you, and you succeed together. So that's a different scenario than, right. than when people, which is the reason for your question, is when people get down the road, and they get divorced, but they have assets, significant assets, or maybe they haven't been married, and they, they're, they're 40, 45, 50 years old and getting married. For the and, first time. And I do know of those cases. In that scenario, it really behooves them to have a prenup. Uh, there are just lots of moving parts that are affected by that decision to get married. I mean, their care, which is not so far in the future, um, their health care, mm-hmm. their uh, the the real estate, the estate planning that they have in place for their children. So to some extent, their children's future is at stake in this decision to marry under those circumstances. So you might say that there's an estate on both sides, right? Uh, but but even even more emphatic, I would. Uh, advocate this if there was only an estate on one side and it was on my client's side. Yeah, I, I'm no. I wouldn't be so quick to insist on a prenup if they're getting married and my client has no assets yeah. and the other side does. Uh, I would hope the other side may not want a prenup, but I, I would say though that that uh, it's a it becomes especially important when you're getting married older. Right, I and the agree. kids incidentally are now. That's where the kids really get involved is to insist on prenups. I agree. And there's not, incidentally, there are some things you can do as an alternative to that when you're getting married and you're older. Um, You know, you can create a irrevocable trust, but, you know, it's it's a little sophisticated, it's a little expensive, um, and it requires some oversight. You have to dot your I's and cross your T's to 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 attend to the requirements of keeping it in force, to honor it, so that when you need it, it's acknowledged by the courts. So I... Those who who want to avoid the prenup, they just feel, you know, uh, viscerally or religiously, they feel that they don't want to participate in a prenup. Some yeah. religious people, some Christians I know, would would think that that was inappropriate. Would frown upon that, sure. So, for for those people, I would say, um, fine. There are alternative things you can do, and for them, a revocable trust may be the way to do that. Uh, to the extent, though, you're very fastidious about keeping title. In, in a separate in your name and you don't contribute marital assets to it, it you could technically uh, if you were very meticulous about it you could take assets and without a prenup I, I, this would uh, raise the ire of any divorce lawyer watching this but but it's technically true without a prenup if you were very fastidious about assuring that you maintained separation between any money that was earned during the course of the marriage, and that you you any money you spent uh, on an ass a separate asset would would 
would would definitely not come from money that had been earned or acquired during the course of the marriage. So it's it's work. It's work, let yes, me tell it you. Is, and it and is. it's and it's not invulnerable. I mean, it can very well you can make a misstep. So it, it's not the way to go. I'm just presenting, you know, a a a technical piece of information for people who just are insistent they they will not be involved in a prenup. The prenup is the safest way to handle that scenario. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've got one more question. Um, typically, what is the outcome for these gray divorces? Are I like silver better? Well, I don't. I don't have a large um, a large database to think about. Uh-huh. But the cases that I've been involved in, I can tell you that most of those did not go well. So I'm sure there there are some that that are much better than these. But the ones that I'm thinking of, there were issues later. And often they were health issues. Mm -hmm. And now these were people all in their 70s and above. So I'm not talking about 60s. I'm talking about 70s and above. You know, in one case, for example, um, the couple had built a business over many years, involved real estate management. And um, this guy, uh, he was probably late 60s, actually. And uh, he meets, he had was having an affair. He divorces his wife. He marries this other woman. And and his wife had kind of taken care of him in many ways. Though he was the business builder, she had really taken care of him in a way that, that he didn't realize how dependent he was on her. And uh, it was bitter. Oh, it was bitter. Yeah. Let me tell you, this this woman, she was she was a fighter. And, and this went on for a couple years. And um, you know, ultimately, we get out of it, and with the best po- best outcome under the circumstances. Sure. Um, well, he ends up having a stroke. Yeah, you know, I don't know, probably two years later, and so this relationship with this woman didn't last. So this woman soon leaves him. Uh, probably that happens. Not long after, not immediately, but not long after he had these health problems, and they, I'm sure they had other problems, the two of them, but. So the, the the sad part is his wife came around to not 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 like she would have if she were his wife, but she his ex wife did come around periodically and and it, she was really the only person in the world that cared for him that way. He did have two kids, but which were around some too. But but in other than those two kids, she was the only person that that. She still had some feeling for him, despite this ugly divorce. So she came back around. She, more she as would a come friend. around. Yeah, she would drop in. It, it believe me, she didn't resume her role. Uh, right. I mean that he killed that, and it that was sad because he really was lonely, and uh, and kind of pathetic in the end. Well, it's like it's you know that saying you don't know what you had until it's gone. Right. You know. Right. And, I think that's the song. Yeah, and 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 that's that's a that's a good thought to wrap up with is you know you you may not think that you're in paradise but it may be that you don't recognize that it's a lot better than you than it seems to you Mm -hmm. until you you know make an irreversible decision (laughs) and then you find out in a real graphic way that it wasn't so bad so hopefully there's some words of wisdom (sighs) here in this discussion uh i'm a i'm an advocate of of trying to save your marriage, if at all possible. I think that that's the best advice, but you may not hear it from a lot of lawyers uh, or maybe even some of your friends. But in any case, this has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Till next time, take care. 
You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week, we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.